Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at Fightful.com. Here with a name you, you might know a little bit if you're a wrestling fan, an MMA fan. I mean, he, he pops up a little bit of everywhere. Brett, the Hitman Heart, how you doing? I'm doing good, coping well. You're you're a part of the uh, Corner Gas animated series on CTV Comedy. I got a chance to check out the episode. I, I didn't know you were you were that much of a mechanic. Bro. I mean, we know you're a mechanic in the ring, but well, I wouldn't trust me as a mechanic ever. <laughs> I mean, the last guy you'd want to have a looking under the hood of your car. Uh, you. You were a part of the Corner Gas animated series, as I mentioned. Uh, the episode airs first on October 26th. Your get up there, it was a little bit Hillbilly Jim inspired, a little bit Hitman inspired. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, I didn't have much much control over that, but I uh, I liked that they gave me brown hair instead of gray hair. So you got to you got to cut your losses and be happy with what you get sometimes. But the Hillbilly Jim look, um, yeah, I don't know where that came from. The, the likeness outside of the gear was pretty spot on. They, they took you they took you to, uh, like you said, the darker hair and all that good stuff. But your, your return to voice acting, so to speak, what was that like for you and how were you approached with that? Um, you know, it, it's funny because I did it last year. Um, if I remember correctly, I think I really literally just landed from – I came home from Hawaii – and I literally just landed at the airport and pretty much came home and drove straight to the studio and did it from there. Cause I think I forgot that I had it or, or something along those lines, but it, it was a very fuzzy memory of, um, you know, after a long flight sort of just coming in and uh, going straight to the studio, but it, they were really easy to work with. And uh, you know, when, I think when you're a wrestler and you've done as many promos and uh, you know, just you know speaking on uh you know things like today even uh that stuff comes pretty easy to you i'm sure uh the other some of the other cast members like trish trish, trish and, and lance uh, lance they, they they it's all sort of old old hat to us so 
it was pretty easy. I think everyone was pretty happy with how quick and efficient it was. And even though I was just flown in, I, I I was pretty happy with how it went. And they were they were all great guys and fun to work with. And the script was, you never know how it's going to come out. I don't think I even knew maybe at then, maybe, maybe I did. Maybe they, they just showed me when I got there, what I was, my character was going to look like, but I didn't know. I don't think till I got there, um, what my character was going to look like. Lance seemed very honored that even in an animated form, he got to finally face Brett the Hitman Hart. Like that was a big deal for him. Uh, yeah, take it where you get it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a world of cinematic matches now, I mean, this is, this is sort of like that. You get an animated cinematic match. Well, I, I'm equally honored to have uh, had a chance to work, to work against him, so to speak. But, uh, you know, like I say, uh, it's, it's, it's always just, you know, it's, it's a bit of a thrill, I think, for anybody. The little kid comes out of you all the time when you when you see yourself animated and actually in a cartoon and uh you know i've I've caught some of the um commercials leading up to my episode coming up i think it's next week um and it's it's it, it it's always kind of exciting i know like um my uh, my grandkids have brought it up to me a couple of times that they saw me on the commercials and uh i think it, you know there's a sort of a nice little buzz that comes with it and it's you know i was on simpsons years ago when uh yeah, that was always a big honor too, just to be, to see yourself sort of walk out in an animated cartoon is, 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 um, you know, it's a nice, nice uh, feeling. I was going to bring that up. I mean, I remember vividly that Simpsons episode that was in my youth and that was my favorite TV show. One of my favorite wrestlers. And today, like I'll go into toy stores or something like that and I'll see Brett, the Hitman Hart Simpsons figures. So, I mean, you never know like how or what will immortalize you, so to speak. Well, I think the, um, you know, the, the, the funny story about the Simpson cartoon was, um, you know, that they initially were not going to draw me in as me, but uh, I had just lost the title with to Shawn Michaels at the, the Ironman match in uh, Anaheim. This is maybe a week or two later. And, uh, they flew me in as just to act. I was going to be the mad Viking or something like that. I was going to be some other wrestling persona of, that was made up a fictional one. And uh, I tried really hard to get them to draw me in as myself. And they finally said, it's, it's just the part for mad Viking, you know, take it or leave it. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'll still take it. You know, it'll be fun to go to LA and do the voice for the mad Viking. But anyway, so I, uh, I did the whole thing in about five minutes, like I drove there in a big limo and they, they, they went into the studio and I, I did my lines in about less than five minutes, did every which way you could think of more mad. Okay. Not quite so mad, you know? <clears throat> and then, uh, they, my limo driver had driven off and, uh, had gone to get gas, I think. And, uh, so I got stuck sitting there for about a half hour cause I got done so quick. And all the these workers that were working at Fox Studios uh, came out of the woodwork. I mean, like I'm talking like maybe a hundred, over a hundred people came out, and they had programs and pictures and figures, and and so I just signed. I had nowhere to go anyway, so I just signed all their stuff. And I remember when I was sitting there after I'd signed for maybe thirty, forty minutes. I remember. Uh, I guess the guy that was the director of my episode came up and he goes, he goes, I had no idea you were this big of a star. He goes, if you, if, 
if it's okay with you, we're going to draw you in as yourself now. Cause we, we, we had no idea. And so I always thought, you know, just by being a good sport and being nice and taking my time and being friendly with people and signing autographs, you know, they drew me in as myself, which can, you know, never hurts to be a nice guy. So I thought it was always an interesting story that it paid off because I think it was a bigger, much bigger deal being drawn in, as, you know, Brett the Hitman Hart and having, um, you know, caused Mr. Burns to go bankrupt and, yes. you know, taking his house and all that. So no, no easy task there. And I thought that, I mean, I don't know what the, the creative, so to speak, was for the Mad Viking. But when I saw Brett the Hitman Hart doing what he did and saying what he did on The Simpsons, I was like, man, how could it have gotten better than that? What could they have had that was better than that? Well, you know, I did the I did all the lines and everything as the Mad Viking. That's why when people sometimes hear, they go, that's not Brett Hart. You know, it doesn't sound like him. And it's like, yeah, I was supposed to be doing the Mad Viking, so I wasn't supposed to be Brett Hart. So I was trying to have a different voice a little bit. But it's me. And... Uh, Again, it was, they didn't change anything except for the, the artwork. And, uh, you know, I think Hitman was better than the Mad Viking anyway. <laughs> so you had had voiceover experience with The Simpsons. Did WWE ever have you do any or WCW for the video games or anything like that? Because I know that a lot of times that, that has to be taken care of. Oh, yeah, all the time. You know, you did stuff so much stuff like you do everything under the sun with WWF or WWE. You know, like you, you, you may not have, I may not have had that much experience when I first started there in the eighties in the mid eighties, but, uh, five, six years later, you're like, you've got experience. You could go any, you could do any morning show. You can go on any radio. You can, you know, you're doing live TV. You're done. You're just, you get so it's the easiest part of your day, you know, and it's, and you just get, you know, I think every, even the wrestlers today, I mean, you learn how to be on TV. You learn how to make your voice work for whatever it is they ask you to do, you know, whether it's a video game or a commercial or a cartoon or whatever, you just, you can do it. It's easy. Like I said, it's the easiest part of your day. The hardest part is uh, making your planes and getting on the airplane and getting to the town. And when somebody comes up and says, yo, you got 30 interviews. I remember a lot of times in WWE, you know, they would give me a list of, uh, radio stations to call in at like on the east coast and when you're on the west coast you'd have to call them at five in the morning and call one station after another every 15 minutes for two hours at five in the morning and make sure they wrap still up make, their interviews in time too yeah and, and get on the plane and make like and it's like people wonder why sometimes when you wrestle it's like some days you're you might look tired and it's like you know there's a lot of stuff that goes on that people don't don't understand about um, you know the main event wrestlers how hard they got to work behind the scenes to do radio spots all that stuff is more important than your match like to, to WWE whereas me I was always a guy that most important thing is my match you know I don't really care so much about the promos and things like that but but they go hand in hand. You gotta, you gotta get up in the morning and sort of wake yourself up and slap your face a couple of times and go, okay, I'm calling Atlanta or I'm calling uh, North Carolina. It's, it's, you know, it's seven in the morning there, and do these, um, these phoners. So the hitman is is romanticized as such a serious character, but we've seen your comedic chops not just not just on The Simpsons or Corner Gas. Like some of my f most fond. Bret Hart memories are like the El Dandy promo. 
like if if that pops up like everybody gets a good laugh out of that like you you had great comedic timing and I did do, love, I've always loved the Al Dandy interview it was one of my favorites and uh, you know I think cuz Gene Oakland was uh, <laughs> you know I don't know that I can't remember exactly but I'm not sure there was any rehearsing for that there was no like we didn't even talk about it we just it just came off that way and uh Gene was such a good uh guy to play off of that uh you know it, it was it's it, i've watched it back many times sometimes i'll watch it back with my um my youngest son will put it on and we just start laughing it's just it's a very uh, one of my few sort of happy memories of wcw times you know where it's like you know i there's also this is i remember i did some interview with wcw where like there was like i said what am i talking about what have i got to, like what do you want me to talk about and it's like, we don't know, just go out there, you know, just talk, you know, it was one of the things Eric Bischoff, like in a lot of ways, I kind of slowly kind of deteriorated my, my, my stock in a sense that I had nothing to talk about. It's like, I'm going out and I'm ranting about, you know, WCW fans, I have no respect. And it's like, I'm sitting there going, what else have I got to say? I don't have anything to say. Like, I, I don't know, you know who, who I'm fighting or where I'm going or what I'm doing. And I remember I got really frustrated and I went out and I, talked about my cat I talked about my cat was my only fan Smokey the cat and my cat was named Smokey but I remember it was just the stupidest interview because I had nothing to talk about it was almost like sarcastic to kind of kind of make it clear to Bischoff in the back that I don't have anything to talk about the best I can come up with is my cat and I just remember when I came back to the dressing room Eric Bischoff goes I love the part about the cat he goes I loved it and it was like I remember kind of scratching my head and thinking for the money these guys are paying me, they sure got some st- stupid people here, you know? And I actually remember giving them an idea about the cat, putting the cat in the cat carrier and having the cat in my corner all the time. <laughs> he got, and he said he loved it. Anyway, never went anywhere. Like any, everything in WCW. But, so you, but, you pitched um, bringing a cat to the ring? Yeah, and then I actually had an idea where the cat would be with. I would have a real cat all the time in my corner, and then for one of the matches, I would, I would um, put like a stuffed toy cat in the my in my cat carrier, and I would put like have a zipper on it, and I would stick the cat in like the insides of the cat with a brick, and then when I was in in peril in the match. I would reach like in a say a Boston crab or something like that or some kind of a hold where I was in in jeopardy. I would um, open my cage door and reach reach it through and grab the cat by the tail and swing it and hit the wrestler over the head with the brick and win the match with the the cat with a, a stuffed cat with a brick. But I remember. I remember I was almost like a rib, like to see if they would just do it. And I remember I was actually, to be honest, it would have been better than anything they did have me do at that time. Oh. But um, anyway, that never came to fruition. But, uh, you know, sometimes you got to just uh, make up stuff on the go all the time. I think your nephew Teddy stole your gimmick. He carries yeah. it he carries he, everywhere. Better off with Teddy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. Did did El Dandy ever approach you about that promo? No, but you know, I I, I did actually have a lot of respect and uh, high regard for all the, the the Mexican guys. They worked so hard in those days. They were the backbone of um, 
WCW in the sense that they worked all the house shows. They worked on the road and guys like me and Hogan and the guys that were making the money all the time. We worked shit. I worked once every couple of weeks sometimes and or less than that even. And, you know, so I always, when I, in those days, like even Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio and all those guys worked so hard and guys like me were just getting paid the big money and working once every couple of weeks and, and it, it was never fair. So I had a lot of respect for those guys and I appreciated how, how hard they were working. And I think he, um, I'm guessing, but I'm sure he probably um, appreciated that, um, that I gave him a, a Yeah, plug. I would imagine. And I would have. I would have worked gladly worked with him as opposed to Goldberg. <laughs> you you've mentioned I saw actually a recent quote where you said like everything he did hurt. Who was the opposite of that? Who was a person that every time you got in there you're like I know this is going to be a dream and I know it's going to look good. Kurt Henning was one. Uh, Sting was one. Uh, Owen, my brother Owen was one of them. Yeah. You know, we didn't even. And Macho Man was another one. You know where you didn't need to even talk. Like you could just if someone said quick run out there. You got to go 20 minutes with macho man. And we don't, you know, we don't know what you're doing. Just figure it out on the fly. And I've done that with macho man. Um, you know, some guys you can just work. They're, they're, they're just total pros that way. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's important for all wrestlers to try to be like that. You know, sometimes you, you know, I do remember wrestling macho man one time where, something happened with somebody's flight. I was in Detroit, but they were running another show in South Bend, Indiana. And it was again, someone was, it might've been Jake Roberts was working against Macho Man, but he got delayed somewhere. Or he couldn't make his plane or something like that. And they told me I was on first match in Detroit. They put me on first and said, you got to get on an airplane, fly all the way to South Bend, Indiana and wrestle Macho Man. It's a sellout crowd. In wow. And the main event's not going to be there. And I literally, by the time I wrestled and got on a, on a charter plane to South Bend from Detroit and the time zone change, I landed and had um, no time. I actually pulled up and Macho Man was in the ring cutting an interview for, he'd been on the mic cutting an interview for about 30 minutes waiting for me to show up. And they're just about ready to cancel the show or cancel the, the main event. And I pulled up and they, I remember they told me, said, as I was running in, they said, you just go straight to the ring, you know, figure it out in the ring. And I didn't have a finish. I didn't have an ending. I didn't know. Most of all, it was at a time when I wasn't, wasn't necessarily sure that I could be the main event. You know, it was always questionable whether I had reached that sort of level that, you know, send Bret Hart out. It's like, is that going to get a reaction? Like, Oh, like he's not a big enough star to fill or replace Jake Roberts say, and, um, you know, I just remember running out and the place popped and went crazy. And it was like, I guess I'm over enough to, to replace Jake Roberts and be the main event. And uh, that was kind of the first sort of start of me, I think becoming a big, bigger star than just being uh Bret Hart, the singles wrestler. And, and that helped launch and motivate so many people to use the sharpshooter. I remember the story you told about how, you were like, I like that move, and I think it was Conan that showed showed it to you. Yeah. 
who has done the best sharpshooter outside of the Hart family? Because I think that's kind of cheating. Because all the Hearts, even Natalia uses a great one. Who's who's got the best sharpshooter you've seen besides you? Um, well, I can tell you the ones that have the worst easier. I'd um, love that too. <laughs> um, I know Steve Austin had a hard time putting it on. So did Rock. But yes. they, they would tell you that themselves. And it's you know if you don't you think when you look at it you go oh, I can put that on. Yeah, but you know you got to think about it and actually you got to kind of know how to put it on to to appreciate it. And, Sean would uh, put it on backwards. I would notice that he would always have to switch whenever he'd do it. Yeah, a lot of guys. Even when on the screw job, I had to yell up yell up at Sean when oh. he was putting it on. I had to yell up. I said, "You're putting it on back." Like, and then he switched. If you watch, he switches, and it's like so. I actually helped him put the <sighs> you know the the final uh, screw job on right. But uh, I think Sting always put it on, you know. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Scorpion Deathlock and the, 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 the Sharpshooter were basically the same thing, so... Yeah. You know, Sting was always, um, um, he was always a real pro and, uh, he put it on as well as anybody. Um, you know, if anything, he had it first, I think. So, uh, one of my fondest angles was obviously Canada versus USA. I recently interviewed the Patriot of all people. And it seemed like it, at the same time, that angle was so far ahead of its time, but it could it work today with the sensitive political and social nature that, that exists? How, how would that work today? The Canada U S thing. Yeah. Cause I mean, quite frankly, a lot of the stuff you were saying, if you put it down right now, it would be even more appropriate than 1997. You know, it was, it was the whole thing was initially, um, you know, I don't know. I remember in the beginning, you know, like they would have me say stuff. And I remember it's like, I'm kind of walking this line between being a baby face and a heel. And I remember a lot of times saying, I, I got to say something smarter than that. Like, I can't just be go out there and say stupid stuff. You know, I'm, I'm kind of still a baby face and I have to, it has to be done in a very intelligent way. So I think, um, 
you know, there was an effort to keep it pretty smart in the beginning. And that was kind of where it kind of petered out was when they kind of cut the power on me. I remember it's like Vince mysteriously kind of ran out of ideas about the end of August and they didn't really push the, um, the, um, the U S Canada promos for me. I remember Vince, Vince was the one that came up with the, the, the storyline about the stick in the, the animal, giving Pittsburgh an anima. Um, I remember as that, I was like, geez, that's a bit strong. Like, cause I was like Pittsburgh <laughs> as a city. And it was like, yeah, you got to say that. And, and it always was one of the things that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever been forgiven in Pittsburgh for saying that, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, Vincent was hands-on giving me sort of telling me how to, to do the whole U S Canada thing. And one of the things that happened after SummerSlam, after I worked with, uh, I think it was the Patriot and oh, yeah, Undertaker yeah. and that, that time period, they just cut the power. And if you sort of watch my promos for the next two months, I'm kind of walking out there and it's the same thing as I had in WCW where I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't have anything to say other than I'm saying what I said the week before. It's just trying to ranting about Canadians being better than Americans. And, you know, it lost a lot of its power because, you know, ultimately, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, he's, he's, he's the idea guy. And he's, he was a big part of the success of that U S Canada thing working because he was giving me a lot of ideas. And I think it was part of my intentional grounding was the to, okay, now we'll cut the power on like let him just go out there and he doesn't know what to say. And, you know, it's too bad. I, I've always thought that that was a, one of the smarter storylines. I always loved the, the line I had about, um, they don't shoot each other and kill each other on every street corner and all that stuff. But, you know, it turned out to be pretty, uh, you know, fitting stuff for the times and probably would be just as, um, you know, I don't know, you know, even in those days, you know, I can, when I think of the United States today and how much problems with the, um, you know, the, just the political tensions that they have there right now. If I go back to remember those days, I can remember, you know, like in some of those places like Montgomery, Alabama and places like that, getting in my car to drive off after the show. And I would have hillbilly guys in trucks follow me for miles, shaking their fists at me and trying to run me off the road. And you know, it was dangerous stuff. It was like, these guys are really mad that I'm bashing America. And they were like redneck nut jobs. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of wackos that, uh, you know, as soon as I started putting down America, it was like, you know, serious stuff to them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that, um, you know, that, that nothing bad ever happened from it. I can remember telling Vince that it was a bit becoming a problem for me to leave the buildings at night at I the end of the it. show. Because uh, I was all by myself at the end of the night and I got to drive to the next town and there's fans that are, would follow me for 50, 60 miles, shaking their fists at me and trying to cut me off. And, you know, it was, again, it was part of a strange job sometimes where it's like, they don't understand the stuff that you got to go through on a 24 hour basis, you know? Yeah. I watched some of that stuff back and I was like, man, you could have dropped any of these promos in 2020. They would fit right in. Like they would, it would make a lot of sense. 
my parent company is based out of Canada. I miss Canada a lot. Like I go there and I'm like, wow, it's so much more peaceful here and people are nicer to each other on the streets. Like I thought it was not ever going to Canada. I was like, oh, it's it's for storyline. No, it's real. A lot of it's it's rooted in realism. Well, Canadians have always been sort of the more gentler, laid back version of Americans anyway. Like we're we're as much, you know, we're really kind of the bastard child of Britain and the America because we're kind of like Americans, but we're British yeah. Americans. It's kind of, you know, it's very, um, um, it's a unique place and there's a temperament that Canadians always have a, a good temperament. And, uh, you know, I think we're a better place because, uh, you know, Canada, for the most part, we, we actually don't mind wearing masks and stuff. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal, you know. As we wrap up, just a couple more questions. Reminder, check out Corner Gas Animated on CTV Comedy. You had a 20-year contract with WWF at one point, and I believe that the tail end of that was for you to serve as an agent. Is that right? Um, Maybe. It was it was optional. I was going to work in some, some facet of the uh, of the um, the office. I, I was actually under my if my memory serves me right, I think I was going to take Pat Patterson's job okay. and work, work with the, um, the matches. And, you know, I don't know that, uh, that would have been ideal for me. Um, just because of the work involved, it was, it was probably something that, you know, at those, at that, at the, at that time, it was like, who knows what I'm going to do, you know, um, how many years of wrestling. I know that, um, I still believe I had a lot of contributions to be made to the company and uh, I would have been an asset to, to them over the years for for ideas and just logic and things like that. But, uh, um, you know, it didn't happen, but uh, it's, I think that was more their loss than mine. You know, I think, you know, once all the, the bad blood happened there with the screw job and all that kind of stuff, it was, you know, it was what they lost I think um, was um, immeasurable. Like you'll never, you'll never know what, what I would have brought to, 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 to the WWE after 1997. Um, But I had so many um, good years left. You know, I, I always think, you know, they, whatever happened with me and Vince and how stupid all that was and how unnecessary all that was and Sean's behavior and the whole, the whole reason all that happened was so stupid, really. Um, You know, that if you look at all the matches that didn't happen, like the matches that I didn't have with Steve Austin after WrestleMania 13, the matches that I didn't have with Undertaker, the matches that I didn't have with Sean, and for that matter, Triple H and all the different storylines that could have played out of our so so called rivalries, Holy you know, and like, Angle um, and all these people that emerged over the next couple of years. Yeah, like even Rock. I mean, yeah. it would have been. I mean, there was some great wrestlers that were coming up the, you know, and it's like what they did to me was a not necessary. It was, you know, I should have stayed there, um, Vince. Vince did what he did out of, um, you know, petty reasons. And, uh, you know, they screwed me out of, you know, a 20-year contract. You know, they spent more money on Mike Tyson the next year, paying him for 15 minutes of refereeing, uh, um, you know, 
as opposed to what they would have paid me for 20 years of work. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. I'll never understand the reasoning or the logic of what they did or how anyone could justify, you know, and I think the loss of what they would have gained and all the different guys that would have uh, benefited from working with and, and uh, learning and teaching and passing on what I knew to the next generation, you know, all that was lost. Even I think for what it's worth, I think my, probably my two sons, uh, would have probably become wrestlers and probably would have been good wrestlers. I know they, they, they both really kind of turned it off after that and never really um, went in that direction anymore. But, you know, I think if things had been different with my career and with WWE, they would have gladly, um, you know, end up moving into that, you know, into that end of the business and becoming wrestlers. And, you know, it's just so many things changed on account of, and, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, I believe I've always believed that my brother Owen's accident would never have happened if I'd been there. And so there's a lot of things that, um, hard, you know, hard to believe the daily downward spiral would have happened too. Cause that, that trap door incident wouldn't have happened in WCW and who knows what, what would have changed then? Well, yeah. I mean, Davey, Davey had his issues and his drug problems and, uh, it's hard to say whether he would have overcome those. I think Davey, you know, if you know anything about that kind of drug addiction, um, it's, you know, people can't control it. And it becomes like, uh, it's like some people have a, an ability to overcome it. And there's a lot of guys like test is a good example. And you go to rehab and you go to, and you, you, you got it under control. And a week later you're back on the, you know, it's like you fall, you break, you break with your, you don't have the control to stop yourself from going back on the getting on that cycle of drugs again. And there's a lot of guys that have the ability to get off. And, you know, it's a, it's a credit to, to Sean Michaels, you know, really that he survived, you know, that he's alive today. You know, he's, he was one of the guys and he probably the first one to tell you, and I'm sure he has, that um, you know, he had a really bad problem. And there's a few wrestlers from those days that had serious drug problems that overcame them and are alive today and living prosperous and happy lives. And it just shows you that with nothing was impossible. And maybe it would be nice to think that Davey could have been like one of them. But, uh, you know, um, unfortunately, he's not with us. But Last question, we'll let you go. You mentioned Pat Patterson and how instrumental he was in matches. I'm working on a Royal Rumble project, and you had a couple of pretty big moments in, in Royal Rumbles, from the one that led to Final Four in 97 to the, the double win in 94. What do you remember about putting those matches together, who helped out, and just the process of a Royal Rumble? Because it has to be a complicated situation for some people, and for some people maybe not. Well, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I think, you know, when, when they lay out the, the strategy or the psychology of the match, um, Pat was always one of the best to, um, lay it out. He was, he always had a great vision. Pat was one of those kind of guys that, um, if you had an idea, and you were talking to Pat, you know, if you said to Pat, like, how about this? And then you explain the idea to Pat, 
Pat had an ability to visualize what you're talking about while you're talking. Like he could visualize it and recognize right away whether or not it would work. And um, like I can remember when I first started in, in WWF, it wasn't a rumble or anything, but I can remember, you know, been there about two years. And I can remember Pat coming up to me and going, uh, we were working with the Bulldogs. And he goes, I can't remember what the finish was or anything like that, but I just remember he, he was kind of out of ideas. And I said, how about this? And I ran a whole finish by him that we had done and used to do in Calgary with the stampede wrestling. And I just remember I laid it out to him. Pat looked at me, goes, you can do all that. Like, just like that. And I said, yeah, we can do all that. We've done it lots of times. And he goes, I want to see it. You do, do everything you just told me. And I want to watch. I'm going to go out and watch. And we went out and did the whole match like clockwork. And he came back and he was just blown away. And he, he was like, I can't believe how good that match was and how like you had so much in there and so much, you know, it didn't look rehearsed or practiced. It was just, we had done it a million times kind of thing. And I think that was when, in, if I can pat myself on the back, I think that was when they started to realize that I was a good finish guy. Like I was a guy that could come up with my matches and like, you don't need to, I remember with the, when I fought uh, Davey in Wembley, I remember telling Vince, I said, I went up to him. I said, do you want to know the finish? He goes, no, don't tell me. Oh. He goes, I want to see it for myself. I just want to go out and feel it. Like I know, I know it's going to be good. I just want to watch it. And, you know, most of the time that I was champion, um, they would give me a rough idea of what they wanted for a finish, whether it's a DQ or as a count out or whatever, the pinfall or a sharpshooter. And the rest was up to me. Like you figure it out and you do whatever you want. Because we're, we're, they were satisfied that I would make it the best possible. And uh, I always read my, I always liked that and appreciated that respect that they had for me. And, uh, you know, with the rumbles, it's kind of, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in the final sort of eight guys in there to kind of be part of the, the best part of the storytelling of the rumble. Um, you know, it's, I think if I remember correctly, the, um, the rumble with um, Steve Austin in uh, Texas and all that, where I got double crossed and I actually won and all that. That was all, I think Vince and, um, you know, and Steve was such a great guy to work with. He was a natural, um, you know, he had a great kind of chemistry of, of playing his heel part, especially at that time of being the, the badass kind of rattlesnake heel that he was trying to be. Um, we always had such great chemistry together, Steve and I, like we, we, we enjoyed uh, the role playing of me being the, you know, I love the look on Steve's face when I walk out and he's like stunned, you know, and he's yeah. almost scared that I'm coming out. And, One of those. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of that was Steve. A lot of that was me. A lot of that was Vince. It was just everyone gelling together and having good chemistry. And, uh, you know, I will say as far as rumbles go, I think my favorite rumble was um, the one with Lex Luger, where we both went out at the same time. And, you know, that was so hard to do. I mean, if you really think about it, like you can both go over the top rope, but you have to land exactly the same time on the ground. It has to be done perfect. And there's no way to guarantee that. There's no way to ensure that. There's this, and in fact, they didn't 
film it. They filmed it and they didn't show it because they were they didn't want anyone to go. Oh, well, Brad Hart hit the ground like yeah. he's like way ahead of Lex or or vice versa. But I always give Lex credit for that. If you watch Lex the way I go over the top rope, Lex grabs me and we just flip over the top rope. And you know it's great athleticism that both of us landed exactly. I remember they showed the next day, Vince and Pat, they were so, you know, we didn't want to show anyone the camera angle, but in fact, we can show the camera angle because you know what, you both landed exactly the same time. And that's the beauty of, um, of two guys that uh, are, are good athletes. Lex was always a great athlete and um, you know, just two, two consummate professionals in there. They tried it a few years later with Rock and Big Show, and it just didn't work. One of them hit before the other one. It's 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 hard to time. And then they accidentally did it, I think, 11 years later with scene in Batista, where one of them was supposed to land first. So I think you guys are the only ones that have, have timed it perfectly thus far in the Royal Rumble. That's, that's quite an achievement. Well, I give I give all the credit to Lex on that one, because if you watch it, I just sort of grab him, and he, he does the flip, and... I remember when I was falling over the rope and going to land, I remember trying to pull my feet up. And I'm sure Lex was doing the same thing because I didn't want my feet to be first. And we both hit the exact same time. It's it's pretty much a fluke. Uh, Impossible to... um, If we had to do it twice, I don't know if we would have done it twice the same way. Well, Bret Hart, I want to thank you so much. This has been a a career highlight for me, and I want to encourage everybody to check out Corner Gas Animated on CTV Comedy. The the first two seasons are also available on IMDb TV in America. Brett, thank you so much for taking the time and being so generous with us. All right, no problem. It's good chatting with you. Till next time, guys. We're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.